welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. I've got a great message for you today, and it, the title is Aligning with the Plans of God. And uh, before I get into the, to the, to the passage, and if you want to turn to it, it's in Mark chapter 5, verse 1. We've shared over the course of the years here that God has a system of transforming every believer and he has an assignment for every believer that goes beyond just our own personal salvation and transformation. But God's plan is that we would go from salvation to transformation into a place where we learn how to partner with him in the plans that he has for a city and a nation. And the challenge for every believer is that we would leave our place of introspection and pain and we would move on to a place of maturity and then move on to partnering with God in his plans for the nation. Do you know it says in Luke 11 verse 5 that there's a parable this is not my message, but just introduction about a man who comes to a house, remember, and he knocks on the door. It's, it's the midnight hours. It's a picture of the end times. And the man knocks on the door and says, my friend is coming. So it's a picture of the Holy Spirit saying to the church, Jesus is coming. And he is. Jesus is coming. And so he knocks on the door and he says, friend, lend me three loaves because my friend is coming. And we know those three loaves are a picture of the full maturity of the bride of Christ. So we go from asking to seeking to knocking, from, from salvation to transformation to a, a place where we're warring with God for the kingdoms and the nations of the world, where we're beginning to see the big picture. John puts it like this, from children to sons to fathers. There is a progression where we begin to move with the kingdom and the purposes of Father. So a friend knocks on the door, but the one inside is in bed. And it's a picture of our heart. In bed means the heart. He's lying in bed with his son or his child. And children represent our future. So he's lying in bed and his heart is fixed on his own future and his own needs, but not the needs of the master. But the one at the door persists. And the one inside says, look, I can't come. I'm in bed with my child but the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of the church and saying, I will not stop knocking until my friend gets what he deserves. Jesus died on the cross. And the reason he died on the cross wasn't just for your personal salvation, as important as that is. He died on the cross because his passion is the nation's. The first thing that Father said to Jesus when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended, the very first thing that Father said to Jesus as his reward for his suffering was Psalm 2 verse 8. Ask of me and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. The, the, the purpose of the cross is bigger than just your salvation. It is the kingdom expressed in all of society. It's not just bums on seats in church. It's not just we can count how many salvations we have, but it's the kingdom. It's the mind of God being expressed in every facet of society. And nothing less than that will satisfy God as a reward for the Son. 
So the church has dumbed down the whole mindset of the gospel. We just thought it was about salvation and church planning. But Jesus has a mindset that all of the nations, all of the nations, there will be in every nation an expression of the kingdom of God. So that's my introduction. That, that it is burning in the heart of God that his people would understand the very plan of God for this hour. Jesus said he came to Jerusalem and they missed his whole visitation. They missed, how could, how could you stand in front of Jesus with the miracles, the signs and wonders and totally miss that he was the Messiah? I mean, how can we be so dumb and still breathe? But how can we miss today with all the revelation and all the history and all the, those that have gone before us, how can we miss the very purpose of this hour. So in my mind, when I preach, there has to be a balance between your personal needs, your, your, your growth, but also on the other side, there has to be in every church an outworking of what's on the heart of God. So in many places, we're hearing all about you, how to fix your problems, and that's, that's good. But on the, on, the, on the other side is, what about God? What's on his heart today? What's the passion of the Father and the Son for this hour? So Mark 5 verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he came out of the boat, there he met out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. In fact, it says in Matthew that there were two men with unclean spirits, but we'll get to that later. But here in Mark's account, there's one man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling amongst the tombs and nobody could bind him, not even with chains. And you think you've had a bad day. He'd often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Nobody could tame him. And day and night, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out, Cutting himself with stones. This is not my message, but I want you to take heart. God can use anybody to bring his kingdom. Doesn't matter what you've been through. Doesn't matter how many hang-ups you have. Doesn't matter if you have a father or a mother. Doesn't matter whether you've been an alcoholic. Whatever it is, your background, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how bound you've been. Jesus still sets people free. And not only does he set people free, he then begins to use them to change nations. The greatest losers, the most addicted and broken people, God loves to breathe on them and make them world changers. That's the gospel. So Jesus comes to this man. And when he, verse 6, he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. There's so many things that we could talk about, but we need to keep on track. And he cried out from a, with a loud voice, What have I got to do with you, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I implore you by God, don't torment me. For Jesus had said, Come out of that man, unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is his name? And he answered, My name is Legion. Legion, we think, means that he had 6,000 demons. That's what a legion was. So again, what a capacity he had for ugliness. And what a capacity this man had for greatness. Think about that. One man can inhabit 6,000 demons. 
There's a whole lot you, you can talk about that, but it shows you the spiritual capacity of a person to contain the kingdom of God and to control regions. And he begged him, he said, don't, don't cast me out. For, sorry, what, what is your name? My name is Legion for we are many. And he begged him that he would not send them out of the country. Christians, by and large, are concerned with people on seats. The devil, by and large, is concerned with ruling mountains and kingdoms. Yeah. Now a large herd of swine were feeding there, near the mountains, and the demons begged him, send us into the swine that we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission. So the spirits went out and entered the swine, and there were about 2,000 pigs. Whenever you read the Bible, there are layered in Scripture keys, if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, that will unlock the mysteries of the kingdom. Most people read the Bible like Reader's Digest, like a story. But it is a, Jesus said, John 6, 63, my words are spirit and they are life. So as we read the word, the Holy Spirit begins to unpack layers of revelation. Legion, 6,000. Then Jesus gives us another clue. And these legion go into 2,000 pigs. And they run across and down a cliff into the sea and they die. Here's my first point, and I think there are four. God has a plan and his timing is perfect. God has a plan for this hour and his timing is perfect. It's interesting there are 6,000 demons, a legion of demons. And as I thought about that, because uh, you need to understand the way I think as I read the scripture, I am, I am shaped by great men of faith like E.W. E. Bullinger and others who read scripture and begin to see patterns and shapes and numbers and colors. And they understand that God is a, a God that uses all of creation and, and, and colors and pictures and all sorts of things to convey a message, not just words on a page. And as I read this, I thought, 6,000, 6,000. Okay, God has a plan. And we go back to the beginning of the age and we know that there are 6,000 years allotted approximately to the earth. God gave mankind a lease for 6,000 years. Six days in the garden where he creates and on the seventh day he rests. And Peter says that the day of the Lord is like a thousand years. So I read this and I begin to see that, that in amongst this story of redeeming a man that's bound and then sending him to the cities to transform. We'll see that this man is sent to cities to transform cities. That in amongst this story, Jesus is saying to us that, that he has a plan, that God has a plan, and that we are coming to the climax, the 6,000 years since the beginning, where God is going to speed up the work and he's going to begin to reach cities and nations like never has been seen before. 
He always saves the best to last, John 3. The kingdom is like a mustard seed that, that starts small, begins to expand and expand. And let me tell you, even though it's going to get dark, arise and shine for the light has come. And the greatest outpouring of the Spirit of God that will be manifested through the mind of God in all of society will be seen in our hour. We're seen in this story. God is saying, be awake that the enemy is going to be active in these 6,000 years, but I'm going to deliver a people and they are going to take cities and nations. Yeah. 2,000 pigs. It's interesting, isn't it? Again, we see this same story that, that we are at approximately 2,000 years from the death of Christ. And, and so it's highlighted again that this is a time and a season. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus is on the Mount Olive and he's talking to his disciples about the kingdom, 40 days he spoke, was it 40 or 50? 40. 40. That's right. He speaks about the kingdom and then he goes up and the disciples then walk a Sabbath day journey from the Mount to Jerusalem. Do you know a Sabbath day journey is 2,000 cubits? They, Jesus goes up, they walk... 2,000 cubits, Holy Spirit comes down and empowers them. I wonder if we go backwards, if it's 2,000 years since Holy Spirit came down, 2,000 years later he'll go back up when Jesus comes back down. And we see in this story that, that there are little cues in this story in Mark 5 6,000, 2,000. What is Jesus saying? He's saying he has a plan. And nothing will break the plans of God. If God has a plan that this earth has a lease and the lease will come to an end and Jesus shall return, nothing shall stop it. But before Jesus comes back, we see in this story that God is going to take a people bound and oppressed and broken. He's going to breathe life into them. He's going to transform them and they will be thrust out to take cities and nations. Amen. Our day right now is significant. Acts 3 said there are times of refreshing, but then there are also times of restoration. And Jesus is in heaven now until the restoration of all things. We are in a significant moment, even right now. Do you know, and I know many of you would know this, that 500 years ago, on October the 31st, so Tuesday, 500 years ago, 1517, October the 31st, Martin Luther nails his points, 90-odd of them, 90, 95, that's right, on the wall, on the door, and ushered in an amazing reformation. That the Bible alone is our sole source of authority and truth. And that salvation alone is by faith, through grace. It was a reformation that changed the whole outlook on an individual and how they relate to God. I put it to you that we are in the very beginnings of the next reformation and it won't be just about individuals, it'll be larger, it will be about the corporate understanding of the kingdom. 100 years ago on Tuesday, this week, the Anzacs went where no man could go. Reformation 
of a nation. There had been pillage 44 times. Jerusalem had been captured and oppressed, but this time it's captured and freed. The Balfour Declaration was 1917, October the 31st, when England wrote a a note saying that, that Israel would be formed as a nation. They put in place the plans. See, you say, well, big deal, 100 years, 500 years. See, when you read Scripture, you see that our God is a God that has patterns, times, and seasons. And he begins to alert us that there are seasons where we can look back at history and say, that happened then, that happened then, God is up to something. And we walk into seasons where God begins to unfold his plan for society. And I've never seen a day like today where God's people are beginning to see that the kingdom is bigger than just the individual. Mark 5.14 So those who fed the swine fled. They told it in the city, in the country, and they went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and they saw the one demon-possessed who had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. What a miracle. 6,000 demons out. He's naked, he's cut, he's bruised, he's chained, and he's set free, totally set free and in his right mind. You see, an encounter with God will do what hundreds and hundreds of psychoanalyzing and counseling sessions can't do. Holy Spirit is still the answer to the bondages of mankind. And so he comes to this man and they see him clothed and in his right mind. Now you think a region would say, wow. But instead they're afraid. They say, go, we don't want you in our region. The war's over regions. Jesus gets into the boat and the demon-possessed man said, Lord, I want to hang out with you. Take me home. I want to be with you, Jesus. See, that's called escapism. The whole church is waiting for the coming of Jesus. They bailed out in thinking that the nations can truly be transformed. We read the papers and go, another sign that Jesus is coming. But the faith to believe that Jesus still wants to transform this city, every facet of society, government, business, family. Take me home, Jesus. Thank you for saving me, cleansing me. Get me out of this mess. And Jesus said, no way. Stay. Sit. Stay. Go to the cities and tell them the good news. Tell them about the kingdom. Have you ever wondered why Jesus hasn't come back yet? The reason he hasn't come back is not because the world's not dark enough. We have generations of darkness. The reason Jesus hasn't come back is because he hasn't got the prize that he longs for. And let me tell you, it's not about how many people are saved. It's part of it. But the reason Jesus will come back because the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God. Isaiah 2.2, that the mountain of the Lord, we're above all the other mountains and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. There's there's the element of the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of the gospel, the king and the kingdom. And so, so the world begins to see what it looks like to reign 
under the mind of Christ. Oh, that's for the millennium. Oh, give me a break. There's no faith then. It's all finished. This is the passion of the Father. It is the outworking of the Garden of Eden. This is God's original plan. He hasn't changed his mind. It's like, all right, that didn't work. All right, let's just sort of limp along and get through the next 6,000 years, get them up to heaven, and we'll just say, oh, well, we tried. No, the plans of God remain the same. Have dominion, subdue. Adam and Eve, there's a dark world out there. Take the kingdom and expand the kingdom across all of society. His plan hasn't changed. Verse 20, so he departed and he began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. And they marveled. Point two, God's plan God's plan is for individuals, cities, and nations. So God has a plan. Point two, God's plan is for individuals. He loves individuals. But it's also for cities and nations. Amen? Amen. The agenda of Jesus is nations. 300 times the word nations are, are conveyed throughout Scripture. Our assignment is to bring the kingdom of God into the nations and the cities of all the world. Old Testament prophets constantly prophesied about cities and nations. It's the heart of God. So people say, well, why do you talk so much about the city and Melbourne at church? Because it's God's heart. He loves our city. Every night he embraces our city, pulls it into his heart and longs that his kingdom would come through our city. And by and large, we have churches that, that people are so, and I know it's difficult, but become so introspective. Our problems, our needs, our future. When God's heart is for the kingdom to be expressed in all of the city, this man is sent to ten cities. Ten is the number of perfection and completion of divine order. He's sent to bring the completion, the order, the truth of the kingdom to the cities. Do you remember in Luke 19 that Jesus tells a parable about cities? He tells it because he's near Jerusalem and the disciples think he's going to, you know, when's the kingdom going to come? And, and Jesus said, you know, hang loose, boys. You're going to be here for a while. And, and you need to understand that the plan of the Father is not to get you out of here, but that you will stay on the planet until you learn how to occupy in hostile territory. That's the plan. Father's plan is that you would, you would advance against opposition. Luke 19.13 tells us that, that, that they're given talents and they have to trade in amongst this hostile environment. And isn't it interesting, the one that develops the talents is given how many cities? Ten. Can you see there's a little pattern here? That this whole picture of the ten cities is where God's people bring, bring the kingdom into the city. See, I've told you before that I believe that these ten talents or the miners, they're, they're, a, they're a picture of the revelation of God's goodness in all of society. See, here's the thing. 
God wants you to get a revelation of his goodness and his love towards you, no matter what's going on in your life. And that's a challenge, isn't it? Because things come against us and, and Satan constantly uses pain and, and trouble to cause us to say, where are you, God? Do you love me, God? Do you care? And this whole story in Luke 19, the story of the, uh, the, the talents in the, in the cities, is that we would take these talents, which is a revelation of the kingdom and of the goodness of God, and we begin to nurture it till it begins to grow. And as we do that, God gives us cities and nations. See, first the revelation comes in my heart of God's goodness when all I can see is ugliness. I hang on to that revelation that God loves me and he will never forsake me. It gets buried deep inside my heart. And you can only discover that in the midst of a storm, when it gets challenged, when everything says God's left you. And we say, he's not left me. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. It becomes revelation. But then it goes on and it becomes a revelation for a city. Think about it. This city, Melbourne, God's passion is that we would go into the cities with this, this and begin to trade in the goodness of God. This trading is not just about money. and there, there's, there is an aspect of that. But the trading is in the revelation of the goodness of God to a city. So we begin to trade in our workplace, in our marketplace, in our schools. And we take what we have and it says, I'll take your hopelessness. I'll take your fear. I'll take your blindness and I'll trade it with my goodness. I'll trade it with the love of God. And there's a transaction that takes place. And as we do that, God says, well done, good and faithful servant. I will give you authority over 10 cities. We begin to trade in that. And as we trade in that, our city begins to get the cultural revelation of the goodness of God. Because at the moment, our city doesn't have that. Sees an angry God, a distant God, an irrelevant God, a, a God that doesn't exist. And we sit here and rejoice because people are saved and churches are planted. And it is wonderful, don't get me wrong. But it's not enough when our city has a culture that doesn't understand the goodness of God. And I'm not just talking about people being saved, but I'm talking about in the fabric of our media and our business and our government, how we treat the poor, how we look after each other. The pervading mindset of a city doesn't know the goodness of God. That's why Jesus came. Yeah. Matthew tells this same story about the talents. I'll get back to Mark 5 in a minute, but Matthew tells his story. And when he finishes talking about the 10 cities and the talents, he then says... At the end of the age, Jesus will divide the nations up. Sheep on the left, goats on the right. It was the other way around, but he disperses them. Either either, neither, neither. Sheep, goats. And the sheep nations and cities are those defined by, we, went, we saw you in prison. We saw Jesus in those that were in prison, those that were poor, those who were naked, those that were hungry. In other words, when Jesus comes back, he's looking at cities and nations, it's bigger than just your salvation. When he returns, he will weigh up the nations and the cities. And the key thing is, have you caught my kingdom? Have you begun to understand the way I think and feel and do business? Yeah. Matthew's version of Mark 5 is that there are two demonized men. 
Marx is one. Who's right? They're both right. There were two that were demonized, but Marx is one set free. Could it be that Jesus comes to a city, and one city that's bound in a culture that's dark and resists Jesus, and another city that's bound and oppressed says yes. I love our city. I love this city of Melbourne. Does anybody else love it? Yeah. Ah, go to the Gold Coast. I mean, I could go to the Gold Coast too. And I love our weather. But I am, I am in here. I am bound to this city. It goes through my veins. This city is in my DNA. We are called to this city. We are called to make sure that this city, if you want to use the term, is a sheep city that has the culture of the kingdom in every facet of how we do life and that's our job our job is to see people saved but it's it's bigger than that it is that but it's more it's to understand the way the kingdom operates see this is a challenge is that many believers don't know how the kingdom works and if getting more people saved is the answer I'd say, well, if all our city was saved, would that be the kingdom? I'd say, no, because in many churches, the kingdom doesn't work. There's people broke, people sleeping with each other, people hating each other, marriages that don't work, kids that don't, don't belong. So no, that's, the answer is not just getting people saved. The answer is uh, understanding of the church of the kingdom and how God thinks and operates relationally in business, in government, and then bring the kingdom to our community. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Oh. So God's plan, next point, is to take cities and that requires us to think in a whole new way. And that's hard for Christians. It's hard for people. It's funny, you know, we went to a new shopping centre this week. They've just redone it. And isn't it interesting? It's, it's amazing. I love new things, don't you? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And there were old people coming past. And this is not about being old or young, but the mindset is... Karen overheard a story, I think this is how it went, but... The connotation was, I don't like this place. It's, it's not what it used to be. And, you know, just old cruddy, like, just, I, I want it how it used to be. You know, how it used to be was rubbish. It wasn't really good. It, it had an upgrade. It looks really good now. But it's the mindset. This is how we have always done it. This is how I've always lived. Don't change me now, Andrew. I've been saved for 80 years. Not mum, but others. Been saved for 80 years. I don't want to think different about the kingdom. Leave me alone. Is that how Jesus felt when he came to Israel? Years and centuries of believing and Jesus comes and messes up. No wonder John preached, repent. For the kingdom has come. That's not about whipping yourself. Repentance is about a mind shift. God's saying, I'm going to upgrade the way you think. This is not what it is meant to be. There is more. To Mark 5.14, they come and they find this man who was naked and confused, dressed and in his right mind. <coughs> dressed. 
and in his right mind. Maybe God today wants to dress his church again with the robes of royalty, dignity, righteousness. Maybe he wants to give us an upgrade, the mind of Christ. Maybe Jesus wasn't just about bailing out the church. Maybe he came to call the, to call the church to be the head and not the tail. And I don't mean to dominate and rule over people, but to bring the kingdom, to lead the way. Truth is meant to find its ultimate expression in nations and cities. Did you hear that? So when I read Mark 4, the parable of the sower, is that parable about me? Or is it about a city? Or is it both? So when we have the ground and it's nurtured 30, 60, 100 fold, and then a seed comes, which is our destiny and purpose, is that both for me? But is it also for a city? Can we nurture the heart of a city so it's got good ground, so the purpose, the divine purpose of that city comes to pass. Can it come to pass without the culture being nurtured in a city? Truth has its expression in nations and cities. Bill Johnson said, a transformed culture does not force people to do the right things. It just makes the right things easily accessible for those who have the heart to pursue it. Culture gives opportunity. It doesn't take away the free will of the individual. And that's what we're after. We're after a city where people can see the kingdom and they get to choose. Because at the moment they don't get to choose. See, I think the church, and I'm not here to beat the church. I love the church. The church is the bride of Christ. So don't get me wrong. I'm a church fan. But we've lost the war of culture. Because we don't understand how it's fought. Culture comes, if you're taking notes, from sustained patterns of public persuasion that operate through the gates of influence. So while we're singing songs and saying, Jesus, we love you, it's good to do that. While we're cocooned in a church community, the left, I call the left, those out there with an agenda, are shaping culture by coming and persuading in the public setting a false system of belief. And we sit here and we think the job's done because people are getting saved and our churches are growing and we're planting churches. What a load of baloney. The spoils of the war on culture is the one who wins has the power to define what is real. They're, they have the right to define reality because we haven't brought the kingdom to society. Yeah. We've missed the point. Well, we've missed part of the point. To see people saved, but to see society transformed. And then we stand and say, shock, horror, look at all the bad things that are happening. So Jesus must be coming. No, the, the, that, that's, that's illogical. Jesus called his people to occupy till I come. Yeah. Not just bums on seats, not just a ticket to heaven, not just come and make your appearance at church, put in a tip in the offering and think that's what it means. No wonder there's so many bored believers. You've missed the point. The point is that you're salt and you're light. That you are called, who me? I've got no skill. Excuse me, 6,000 demons. Naked, 
stupid, bound, oppressed, cutting himself. And you come up with your excuses? My IQ, my background, my age? Give me a break. All it takes is a man or a woman that will say yes to the Holy Spirit. Come and use me. Come and cause me to see what you see. One of the prayers I pray is, God, I want to have your eyes for this city. Show me what you see. You pray a prayer like that. God will get your eyes off your own selfishness and cause you to live and dream and believe. There's some fatal mindsets in the church. This man had a whole upgrade. See, here's some fatal mindsets. If we pray more, God will send a revival and change the nation. I'm not against prayer. I pray. But if you think prayer is the answer to change the nation, you are deluded. Oh, no. There's a few cows being killed here today. <laughs> Jesus did not say, I'm going to heaven. Now I want you all to pray in the upper room and don't come out. Stay there. You're called to intercession. And I want you to stay there until I come back. He didn't say that. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of nations. What do you say to Paul the Apostle when he's called? I have sent you to Gentiles, to Israel, and to kings. To kings. Did you hear that? So that's a fatal mindset. If we pray more, it's all going to work. I've been there. I've sat in my room and prayed. And prayed. And nothing's happened. Well, prayer doesn't work. No, it works. It gets you ready to go. But it doesn't go for you. Another mindset is if, if we see more signs and wonders, then multitudes will be saved and the job will be done. No, sorry. I love signs and wonders. We need more signs and wonders and miracles. Yes? yes. Sick need to be healed. Yes. Demonized need to be set free. That is absolutely true. But that does nothing to change the culture of a nation. How many miracles, signs and wonders have the left performed to change a nation? How many? Zero. They've changed the nation with persuasive words and they've called And they've banded together and they've brought a new definition of what culture looks like in our nation. And we've been singing, praying, casting out demons, doing our bit. And it's good. I'm not belittling that. But it doesn't change the culture of a nation. I talked to a wonderful man who was Welsh, who I think his father came out of the Welsh revival. I I don't know the exact facts, but he was telling me about the Welsh revival. And he said, you know, it was reported that as much as God did, there was, a whole, there was a whole areas of Wales that had no idea. See, our world is like this. Now it's revival. And it is great. But that's, that's not the culture of a nation. That hasn't been shifted. How could Luther preach what he did in 1517? A reformation. Was it big? That's not a trick question. Was it big? Did it change the world? Did it impact the world? Yes! 402 years later, a band of disgruntled soldiers in Germany got together and formed the beginnings of the Nazi party. 
And Adolf Hitler knew that if he could take the seven mountains, education, media, government, he took every single mountain and he shaped a culture that undid all the work in many ways that Luther had done in that nation and set that nation back for years and years and years. Here's another one. If we plant more churches, our nation will change. I'm sorry, but look at our nation. We have movements in this nation that have had an explosion of church growth. Church, churches are important. Planting churches are important. We should never stop doing that. But when the church sees its focus and its aim to see people saved and plant churches, and that is it, we have lost the battle. When churches say, we, we don't want anything to do with politics, separation of church and state, have you lost your mind? Has God got nothing to say to the government? And then we complain because they changed the rules. I've sat with politicians who have said to me, why does the church complain to us after the thing has gone through? Where are they when the, the shaping of laws are taking place? They are silent. And then they come to us and criticise us because they don't like the changes. Oh, we're planning churches. We've seen people saved. And it's true. But there's more. Are you hearing me? Bill Johnson again says, success in God's eyes is seen in the impact the message of the kingdom has on how people think and live in my city. Whose city? He said, my city. In a real sense, it is seen in how at home God would feel if he came to our city to live. But God has a plan for the end time church. And I know you have read all this and go, oh... We've missed the boat. No, 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 no. See, before you can go the right direction, you need to work out what's the wrong direction. Before you, you can say, okay, this is what the kingdom, I need to know what the kingdom is not about. And it's not just about salvation and churches. And, and it is important. Please don't walk away and say to Andrew, said, it's not important that people get saved anymore. It's not important that we plant churches. I did not say that. Did you hear that? Yes. It is important. It's just not the kingdom. The full expression of the kingdom. It's not the only reason that Jesus came. The church is one of the mountains of society. A critical one because it's the church, like this demonized man, that allowed God to come into a city. So when we worship and pray, it opens up the airwaves over a city so all the other mountains can be reached. But it's not the only mountain. It's one of the mountains. And, and, and you need to know that because in my day, if you had any brains or any anointing and you were young, then you'd have to be a preacher because there were no other callings. I, I'm, I'm generalizing, but, but, but you need to understand that your calling to business, government, family, it is as important as my calling. The priesthood of all believers that wasn't it Luther that, that saw, is more than just our relationship with God, but it's our ministry, the validity of our ministry to every mountain. You are essential for the culture of the kingdom in this city. And what you do in business or in government is as important as what I do. You are just as called as me, just as anointed. You can hear God just as well as I can. Your assignment is 
equally important to mine. My job is just to tell you that. That's really my job, is to tell you how great you are, how important you are, how needed you are in this city. He has a plan for the end time church. And what I know about God is whenever he has a plan, he always gets his way. He had a plan that Jesus would come. The devil got wind of it, tried to disrupt it. But God always is a step ahead. God has a plan. So don't be discouraged. Don't think, oh, it's too hard. Can't reach this city. We have to look with eyes of faith. So when you look at the city, what do you see? Do you see what God sees? Do you see a city that will be shaped by the kingdom in every realm? This city is his. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It belongs to him. He loves it. He's not gonna, it's the prodigal son who he's waiting for to come to its senses. And we are the ones that remind the prodigal son in this city that there's a father waiting that loves you and wants to embrace you. So Jesus has promised that the church will be built and the gates of hell shall never prevail. The gates of hell. Every mountain of society that says you can't come in. Business says you can't come in. Government says no place for the church. Education says universities, no place for creation. No place for the kingdom. And Jesus says the gates of hell shall never prevail. They will not prevail. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Okay, just checking. The devil showed Jesus all the kingdoms of this world in the wilderness, in the temptation. And he said, come and look at all these kingdoms. What was he showing Jesus? Oh, I was spiritual. No, no, no. He was showing Jesus right through time, every mountain, business, government. See that? I've got a man on there. I've got a woman there. I own education, media, arts, entertainment. It's all mine. Look at it. And see all their glory. What does that mean? The potential to glorify God in that realm. Look at it all. Look at it. You can have it if you'll worship me. How did he have them? Because he's got no authority. He, doesn't, he can't operate on the earth. Only man can operate on the earth. God gave authority to man. So the devil owns the kingdoms because he owns fallen man. It's a puppeteer. He says, look at this. They're all mine. If you want access to them, you've got to come through me. I'll give you it all if you bow down. Jesus said, no way. No way, Jose. I've got a better way. He could come into earth because he was a man. And the devil had nothing on him. So here's this free, loose man called Jesus. Now operating in the world on behalf of the Father and the devil can't control him. Jesus has authority because the earth is his father's. He's operating in his father's stead. There are fallen men who have lost that right from the father or lost the, 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 um, the whole concept of the assignment and they're running around lost. So Jesus comes in and he's about to regain what fallen man has lost. He says, I'm going to get you the keys back. All authority now has been given to me. Because I died and I paid the penalty 
for man's sin. And I've regained back the keys to the house called earth. I've got the keys to the kingdom. And I'm going to give it to everyone that's now in Christ because the devil's got nothing on you. He can't control you. You've now got the keys to the house. Fallen man's inside the house, but I've changed the lock. And you have the right to go in and evict him. The devil has no authority. This is God's house. Remember, this earth belongs to God, not the devil. He's the God of this world, but he doesn't own the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Every city really belongs to the Father. So we have the keys from Jesus to come into a city and unlock whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. You have the right to go into your realm of influence with a key from God that says, this belongs to my father. This is his property. You are out. You are loitering. This is no longer yours. You are no longer operating under the conditions of what the father sent. You are an imposter. You are no longer a tenant. Get out. Amen. We come in. See, what we don't know is the door's wide open. The enemy's operating in there, but God's changed the lock. You go in, you kick him out, and you lock the door. This earth belongs to his, to him. He owns it. So the whole thing about occupying is coming. So how do you occupy? You come into the house and eject the squatters and lock the door. That's the culture of the kingdom coming in. Where there's darkness, where there's selfishness, where there's greed, where there's anger, we come in with the kingdom and say, that does not belong in our city. You have authority to come against the works of darkness. When we see the enemy coming in like a flood, the Lord raises up a standard. When we see him pervading the negativity rather than lying down, we say, this is my father's city. You don't belong here. See, it's a shift of the way we think. You are called to rule and reign with him. Destiny is not something we do. It's a place that we occupy. That's what it's all about. Your destiny is entwined in the place that you occupy in him. And so God's people are getting a fresh understanding of the authority that we have to bring the plans and purposes of our Father to from heaven to earth, to bring his kingdom, to not just preach the good news, but to begin to teach the ways of the Lord to our, to our nation, to our city. You have a key. You open the door and you begin to teach the kingdom in every realm of society. Do not lay down. Oh, I know the enemy hates it. I've got realms that God's called me to and I have, I have felt the backlash. I've woken up at night with demons in our room. I've felt the, the, the craziness and Jesus felt that when he was in the wilderness wrestling on your behalf. Angels came to minister to him. This is a war, church. The enemy doesn't just roll over. We have to evict him. There will be a fight. There will be a battle. But guess what? It says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He believes in you. Why would you, of all people, be left to the last hour? Because the greatest runners are left to the last. The greatest endurance, the greatest speed, the most courageous, the, the most victorious. God says, I will have them be at the end. And they will do more like Samson in a day than he did in a lifetime. God believes in you. You're it. There's no other person for this city. It's you. It's you. It's you. He's called you. 
He has a plan. His plan is that his kingdom would come to this city. So what do we do? I wrote about it in the Gospel according to Nava. The first thing we do is we say, God, am I part of your plan? And he says, my plan is to find people that think they're part of the plan. That, that's the, did you hear what I said? His plan is to find people that think they're part of the plan. I think I'm part of the plan. Are you? Yeah. I think you've called me. It's just okay. Now I will give you a faith grid. I will cause you to survey the city, to walk through the streets, to sit in, on a boat in the ocean and look over the city, to go above, look down like Nehemiah and scope the area and start to strategize with the Spirit of God for the taking of the gates of every realm of society. He's called you to one, at least, and you're it. You begin to pray and intercede. Like Philip, you get alongside the minister of finance and you walk alongside his carriage, waiting for an opportunity to solve a problem. You position yourself by the Spirit to be answers to needs. See, the church is created to solve problems, not create problems. That's the kingdom, solving problems that no one else can solve. The enemy, see, all, all his... All these stuff, it's lies. It's baseless. There's no foundation to it. We are the answer. We have the answer to the problem. Yeah. You're it. God has a plan. A great plan. Yeah. And what I'm asking you to do is to allow him by his spirit to breathe on your mind, to dress you, to put you in your right mind so you can be one who invades cities. Who, me? Yeah, you. You. God's got no other plan. And Jesus is not going to come back until you believe his plan. And I think he's coming back soon. So you better start believing. <laughs> Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for an upgrade of thinking for your people. I take authority over the enemy who has limited people and squashed them and lied to them and deceived them. And in Jesus' name, I ask for fresh mantles to fall today upon your people that would cause them to believe that they are city takers. I say to you today that you have the mind of Christ, a glorious mind. The crown of life has been given to you. You are kings and priests, anointed by God for the saving of a whole city, like Jonah. He's sending men and women into the city to teach the kingdom to people that need to be set free, to institutions that need to be restored. Jesus died to redeem a city and he sends you to restore a city. So I speak to you the anointing of restoration to your workplaces, your streets, your families, your city, bit by bit, bring in the kingdom. I, I pray over your mind today that, that you'll receive upgrades and revelation of the mind of God for a city, that there would come a deep groaning in your heart, an apostolic groaning to be sent to a city. There'll be a deep desires 
with words that cannot be uttered, that you get on your face before God and pray over our city and cry out for the restoration of this city from the north to the south to the east to the west. That you'd find yourself taking ownership, fathering and mothering a city. Jeremiah says, call unto me and I'll answer you and I'll show you great and mighty and deep things that you don't know. And God is longing to release his mind to people that would call to him. And I say to him, Father, I, I don't yet see clearly enough. Please show me. Please open my eyes to see what it is that you're seeing. Lord, remove the blindness and the, and, the, and the areas where there's unbelief in my heart and prepare me to father a city. Prepare me to believe that you could reach every mountain, that your church would come together as a mighty force and not be separated and, 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 and lacking unity, but we would come with one mind and one purpose to see the kingdom come to this city. We say, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in this city, God. We lift up this city of Melbourne, this city, Lord, that, Lord, needs you. Pour out your spirit in signs, wonders, miracles, salvation, but also pour out your spirit with revelation and wisdom to know how to build this city according to the pattern, according to your blueprint for a city. Lord, we pray for the leaders of this city. Lord, that you would position the Phillips alongside them. They would come and speak into their lives, solve problems that they've lied awake for, not knowing what to do. Lord, that you would send men and women anointed of the Holy Ghost, Lord, to every facet of this city until your kingdom comes in its power, until the name of Jesus is glorified in every facet. We will not, Lord, stop until your kingdom is fully expressed. And the name of Jesus is hosted up on a banner high above the city and proclaims that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords over this great city. That's our desire. That's the reward for your suffering on the cross. And nothing less than that, Lord, Lord will satisfy your heart. So we say, let your kingdom come. And out of this group of people, Lord, by your spirit, let the waves of transformation flow over this city and the nations of the world. And we agree together as a body of believers. We agree with you, Father, Son, and Spirit. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.